Well, hello everybody and welcome back. This is our daily devotional for September 18th, 2023. And I welcome you, whether you are a longtime listener or whether you are somebody that is brand new, I am happy to have this time with you. I've got to say, this is going to be published or, uh, I, I, I guess, what's the terminology that they use? I don't know, released, something like that. Anyway, it's going to be posted at 6 a.m. on September the 18th. But I'm recording this on September the 17th in the afternoon. And whoo-wee, my goodness, what a day. What a marvelous day thus far. And what marvelous things yet to come. If you were here today with us at Old Providence, I know that you were blessed as we received a powerful challenge from our guest speaker for special services, Reverend Joe Fleming. Um such a powerful, powerful message that he brings of the Lord being at work in our midst here right now, giving us opportunities, yet also Jesus building his church abroad, specifically in Africa. So um, you still have time to make it to some of the special services. In fact, they just got underway last night. Um, they continue tonight, tomorrow night, and Wednesday night, concluding on the 20th with our ice cream social, which will be fantastic. So Nevertheless, if you haven't made it out, please make a point of doing so. I was asked about streaming. We cannot stream. Maybe you saw the little message on our Facebook page yesterday. But given the sensitive nature, and I don't mean graphic or anything like that, but given the fact that there are lots of folks involved in Joe's ministry afar, abroad, and they are in harm's way. We simply cannot publish this stuff on the World Wide Web. We're sorry that we can't do that. But again, if you're local, I would encourage you to be here. Um, now, let, let's dig into where we left off the last time. If you recall, the last time we were together, we read about Peter's vision. It's in Acts chapter 10, almost said 9. It's in Acts chapter 10, and it begins in verse 9 of Acts chapter 10, where Peter, uh, about noontime, he, he becomes hungry. He goes up on the rooftop, falls into a trance. No, this is not meditating. This isn't, you know, in the lotus position anything like that. No, not at all. Peter falls into this trance because the Holy Spirit uh, put him in that situation, right? Put him in that trance. And he has this vision. Do you remember what it was? It was this, this, this great vision of something like a sheet held by four corners being lowered down and all kinds of animals and reptiles were all over the sheet. The sheet and the boy said, kill and eat. Peter, you know, this is Peter that we're talking about here. Despite the fact that clearly it's the Lord that's telling him this, he says, surely not, Lord. Yeah, some things never change, right? And and let's cut Peter some slack. We're, we're far worse than he ever. Nevertheless, nevertheless, he says, no, I'm not going to do it. And you hear this resounding statement. You can read it in verse 15. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now, there are two meanings to this, two predominant meanings. The first meaning is the one that we talked about together on Thursday. We went back to Mark chapter 7 and we looked at the dietary laws, how the dietary laws were always temporary to begin with. It was a means by which God set his people apart as a nation, as a people group unto himself. Jesus, in perfect obedience, fulfilled all of those laws and as a result, God pronounced all foods clean, okay? Jesus says so himself in Mark chapter 7 when dealing with the Pharisees, all right? Um, 
you know, the ramifications of that are clear in lots of different ways. Your bacon cheeseburgers, your, uh, your shrimp, your shellfish, your catfish. Catfish is not kosher. All sorts of things. Um, if you would have taken a stroll down the, let's see, I think it was 48 feet of tables set up yesterday. I think it was four six foot tables, two rows of them full of different casseroles. It was the day of a thousand casseroles, right? And I can tell you a lot of them were not kosher. Okay. They had pork products of, you know, just fabulous, fabulous. You know, so we have freedom to eat what we want to eat. Okay. But that's only the first meaning. That's the meaning that we got to yesterday. Remember where Peter is as this happens and remember what's going on in the background. Peter is at the house of Simon the Tanner, right? And he's there. He's, he's gone there to minister back in chapter nine. We read about these wonderful things that had happened, raising Tabitha from the dead, healing the paralytic, all that kind of stuff. Peter doesn't know what the Lord is doing. Peter doesn't know about Cornelius, not yet. He doesn't know that Cornelius, this, this, this God-fearer, this proselyte who was a Gentile and feared the God of Israel, and yet because he was a Gentile, he was rejected by Israel. He was a man without a people, right? He didn't know about Cornelius's vision where Cornelius, the centurion of the Italian regiment, was told, hey, send some people, go get the man named Simon, Simon Peter. Peter doesn't know anything about that. He's on the rooftop. He's wondering about things. Um, the last verse that we read was verse 17. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, which he shouldn't be wondering that much. You know, the first meaning about food should have been very clear, very quick. But nevertheless, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. Now, that's where we left off, and we're going to see the second meaning of Peter's vision today, right now. Let's pray, and then we'll dig in. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us, for all the ways that you have worked, for the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Let us watch out for those that would try to steal it, for those that would try to take away from your word on the one hand, and those who would try to add to your word on the other hand. As we enter into this time today, and as we look at the the second and, and really the deeper meaning of this vision that you gave Peter, let it affect us in a powerful way, especially as it relates to how we view your kingdom and our responsibilities and privilege in your kingdom. We're not going to be able to do any of this without your Holy Spirit, so please guide us. I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we are picking up where we left off. We just left Peter wondering about the meaning. The men show up. And interestingly enough, you have to think as a side note, you know, we know, you know, going back to, uh, to the beginning of chapter 10, we find out that, that, um, when, when Cornelius was given this vision, he obeyed the Lord immediately. And it just says, and I'm looking at chapter 10, verse seven, it says, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier. They have to wonder. These guys arrive at the house. Peter's up on the top of the roof. He's just had this vision. Two of them are servants. Okay, that means they're a part of Cornelius's household. But the third, he's a Roman soldier. What's he dressed like? Is it obvious to everybody that he's a Roman soldier? 
Yeah, that makes the scene a little bit more interesting, doesn't it? Especially if you're Simon the Tanner and you got a Roman soldier showing up at your house saying, hey, is Peter here? Yeah, I mean, that, that ups the ante significantly, right? But the Lord is working, all right? Now, as we pick up again, verse 19, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, now we find out after they found the house, it says, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Now, pausing a second again, not knowing what it looks like, nothing like that. That's the background. All Peter has is what the Spirit has said. All right. Verse 21, Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. All right. As we continue reading, it says the next day, Peter started out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. Y'all, what you have here is an example where Peter's a very good example for us to follow. The spirit spoke and Peter listened. That's it. And we do have this very brief interlude. The the spirit says, go with them. Peter's going with them. First, he calls them in and, and makes them his guest, right? All that kind of stuff. But Peter just goes. Now, again, all he's got is the word of a Roman soldier and two servants and the spirit. But y'all, the example for us here is that for Peter, that's enough. Now, we need to be careful here because you might say, well, you know, if the Lord ever speaks to me through his Holy Spirit and says, I want you to go and do fill in the blank, then I'll believe too. But y'all, let's talk about something much, much quicker, right? And the way that God speaks. As I say it all the time, if you want to hear God's voice, do what? Pick up his word and read it. And the reality is, is that you and I, if we put ourselves in Peter's position here, and if we just wait and watch. Now, Peter wasn't just waiting and watching. I'm not trying to accuse Peter of that. But if as followers of Christ today, as we consider what he would have us do, if you put yourself in the position of somebody that's waiting to hear the audible voice of God and waiting for people to show up and tell you what to do, mm -mm, y'all, might it happen? We're not even going to get into the theological implications of any of that. Because the reality is, is that you and I don't have to wait for people to show up and say, hey, listen, we, we, we've we come to get you because there's this purpose of the Lord for you. No, we don't have to wait for the audible voice of God. You have the voice of God in all of its entirety to tell you what it is you're supposed to do. This morning in church, the focus was the Great Commission, that great passage from Matthew 28, right? None of us should be wondering about what God wants us to do. The answer is, we're disciples. We've been saved. We've been bought at a price. In turn, we are to go and tell others. Now, admittedly, this application varies between us. 
to some are given certain gifts for telling others, right? I, I am a pastor. I am a, I'm a pastor of the gospel of Jesus Christ, a minister that preaches the word. Not everybody is that, and that's okay. But all of us can do certain things. All of us can pray. All of us are called to engage those around us. All of us can look for opportunities to share the truth, to bear witness. I tell you all the time on here, don't complicate evangelism. Don't be frightened by it. We're called to be witnesses. And what does a witness do? All a witness does is say what he or she has seen. All a witness does is testify to what they know to be true. You can do that. And you can do that starting in your own little inner circles. And it can expand beyond that. But my point is this. We don't have to wait to hear a voice. We don't have to wait for somebody to show up. We all have the same calling. And what a glorious calling it is. And so we should all be ready. Peter was ready. And we just read it. Now, you might say, well, wait a second. I thought that you said that, that Cornelius was, was outside of the Jewish community. He was very well respected by the Jews, but he's still a Gentile, y'all. Don't, don't let that be lost on. He is still outside of the group. He may be respected by the Jews, but he is a Gentile, which makes him a man unto himself. And therein, we start to see the second reason for this vision that Peter has received. All right, so we have them, we have Peter inviting them in and his guests. They come in, they stay. We find out that not only does Peter go with them, some of the brothers from Joppa went along. Verse 24, the following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. As a side note, y'all, I've said it before. We, we've looked at this in sermons and devotionals. The only people that accept worship, the only ones that accept worship in the scriptures, are, it, it, it's God, God the Trinity and those who are opposed to him. The reason that Peter does this, Peter isn't being rude, anything like that. Peter is saying, hey, ooh, hey, no, don't worship me. Do not fall on the ground and worship me. I'm a man just like you. Side note number two or three or however many side notes this is. Y'all, there's a thing that's brewing out there, and I got to warn you about it. It's this idea of celebrity Christianity, okay? I cannot think of a more contradictory term. There's only one celebrity in Christianity, and it is Christ. You dig? If you are listening to people that are trying to build an empire for themselves, they're trying to make a payment on a Learjet, you know, that kind of thing. No, 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 no. There's no room for that. Remember what Paul said. I have to decrease so that he may what? Increase, right? So that, all that being said, Peter makes him get up, says, don't, don't do this. I'm just a man. Um, it continues on verse 27, talking with him. Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. Pause right there. Stop. Peter gets to the bottom of it. He, he shuts the corn all the way down to the cob here. What does he say? In essence, what Peter does is he addresses the elephant in the room. 
Cornelius is well-respected, but he's still a Gentile. He's still on the outs. These people that he has brought together are Gentiles, and they are on the outs with established Judaism. And so Peter, rather than pretending as though it doesn't exist, he hits it head on and he admits the difference. Oh, that we would have the same honesty. Because the reality is this, y'all, people are not all the same. We're all sinners in need of being saved by grace, but we're not all the same. We're from different backgrounds, from different areas. There are things, socially speaking, financially speaking, physically speaking, there are all sorts of things that the world would use to separate us. And the first step to address those things is not to just pretend as though they don't exist, but instead to get down to the core. That's what Peter does first thing. And you have to wonder, what does Peter even feel like here? You know, we're given little glimpses into this dynamic between Jew and Gentile. One of the most comical, right? And it, Go back and look at, at the crucifixion narrative, right? When Jesus is arrested, you have this weird thing going on between Pilate and the chief priest. And it makes note of this in the, in the Gospels where you have Pilate in trying to invite him into his home and they won't go into his home. And he says, no, 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 come on in. And then he kind of makes them come in. And if you've ever read that, you're like, why do we have this back and forth? It's almost like the Keystone Cop. You have it because Pilate knew that they were Jews and it was the week of, it was a holy week for him. He knew that was going on, y'all. And so Pilate was being a complete and total jerk to the Jews whom he hated. He despised them because he knew that they thought that he was unclean. And he knew that if they even crossed the threshold of his palace, they would have to go and be ceremonially cleansed, okay? So Pilate's just being a jerk there, okay? Because Jews hated Gentiles, Gentiles hated Jews. And you see this back and forth, right? Like we talked about the last time, Jews would go all the way around Samaria just to get to Judea, just so they didn't step foot there. And yet, Peter's in Caesarea. He, he's there. And not only is he there, he's inside a Gentile's house. And the Gentile is a Roman centurion, no less. Okay. And then he goes in and the guy bows down to him and makes him get up. And then he goes into this other room and then it's full of Gentiles, right? Any one of which would make him unclean. This is one of the reasons why Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman, right? You see this shock of, what are you doing talking to me? Don't you know that I'm unclean kind of thing? Or, or I know that you think that I'm unclean. Y'all, you know, this dynamic was ever present. And so Peter first recognizes it. He said to them, again, verse 28, he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But, and now we get to the bigger, the second, the bigger meaning of this vision. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Y'all, I told you last week that in Acts, Acts is, and I've said this all along, Acts is really like the genesis of the New Testament, right? It shows us the reason, the rationale. It provides us with the theology, the biblical reason for why we do what we do, how things are set up as they are set up. 
Okay. And I told you also last week that we were coming to a major transition point. Y'all, when I say major transition point, that, that, that's not a big enough statement about what we've just read that Peter has come to. He says, look, you know what our laws are. We can't even be around you people. But the Lord has shown this to me. I should not call any man impure or unclean. Y'all, again, I've I've tried to, to give you examples of this. The word hate isn't even strong enough for that which existed between Jews and Samaritans and Jews and Gentiles. It was a loathing. It was a a loathing with with burning passion kind of hatred. And doesn't it make sense that it would be? I mean, you got the Jews out here saying, hey, listen, you know, uh, you guys, we can't even touch you. We can't even walk into your house or we become unclean because you're unclean. That's not a good way to influence people and make friends, exactly, is it? But at the same time, it wasn't too long before this, around 100 years before this, a a Gentile, Antiochus Epiphanes, went into the temple in Jerusalem and slaughtered a pig on the altar. He did the most unholy thing that any individual could ever do. Not to mention that whole Roman Empire taking over Jerusalem kind of thing that went on, a conquered people. Now, this is hatred, y'all. And to say that this is a transition point, it's not enough. What we've just read is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you see? What we've just read is what God's word does when we'll just believe it. That there are things out there that separate us. Indeed, there are things that separate us. But because of the power of Jesus Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit. All those things that the world says ought to separate us. You know, the big thing with the world, and, and, and if you read between the lines, you know, if you look, if you squint real hard, you can see, oh, yeah, that, that's just communist propaganda. And no, I'm not being a political theorist here. You know, they, they talk about race warfare. They talk about socioeconomic warfare. And indeed, those kind of things can separate people groups. But in Jesus? Mm-mm. Things like skin color, things like where you're born, things like how you look, things like your social standing. In Jesus, none of those things matter because the gospel is the great equalizer of mankind because all of us are in the same boat without Jesus. We're just sinners bound for hell. That's it. You can be a sinner bound for hell with a healthy 401k and plenty of money in the bank, and you can be white as a, as a I don't know, white, as, as white as rice and a glass of milk on a paper plate in a snowstorm, right? You can be that white and still just be going to hell without Jesus. Or you can be in the wilds of Africa, never seen a Bible, don't know what a 401k is, right? And still just be bound for hell without Jesus. And in the same way with Jesus, we're all the same too. Then we're sinners but we're sinners saved by grace, being transformed into the likeness of Christ. Because that's what the gospel does, you see. And that's how the Lord worked in Peter's life. Now, there will be ramifications. 
by no, in no way, shape, or form does this mean that this problem is going to be solved immediately. In fact, as we see things go along, we're going to see that the major problem of the New Testament church, the first major problem is, what does it mean to be a Christian? Do you have to be a Jew first to become a Christian? There are entire books of the Bible written out of issues that arose between Jews and Gentiles. The book of Galatians, the book of Hebrews, right? And, and there are other places where this is going to be an issue. But for right now, right here, what we have witnessed through this vision is not only the fact that you and I can have bacon-wrapped shrimp, but much bigger. What we've seen is the equalizing force of the gospel and that we are just sinners saved by grace. And the devotional thought, and with this I'm done, there ought to be a prompting with this. There ought to be a sense of urgency, a dogged tenacity even, that because the gospel is what unites us, it should be the gospel that goes forth. And we should do what's necessary to carry it forth. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us, and we thank you for how you worked through Peter, through Cornelius, to to forge a pathway forward, uniting us all in Jesus Christ. Forgive us for the opportunities we have missed. Father, spur us on towards the opportunities that lie ahead. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the power of the Spirit. Let us yield to your Spirit. And I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. If you are local and you would like to come by, then come on. Seven o'clock is when special services are. I know that you will be blessed. Um, last night, I believe that our focus was Sierra Leone, or I'm, I'm trying to think ahead. It is Sierra Leone for tonight. So by the time you see this, it, that will have passed. But tonight, the focus should be on what the Lord is doing in Ghana. So. With those things in mind, Lord willing, we will see you soon. Take care.